Geek News Reviews, commentary, not just another podcast, on the Ordinary Baseball Podcast. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 45, all the geeky news you can use. Coming at you from the West Coast, this is Kyle Bear, I'm an anime voice actor and video game actor too. Woot. And your co-host on the East Coast of the World, Steve, and I'm a pop culture phenomenon. That's right. You are so big. Actually, it's kind of hipster big because the world doesn't know about you yet. But when they do, then you'll probably just go underground and end up like Kurt Cobain or something. But yeah, I'm big in Japan, and I have a girlfriend who lives in Canada. Right. Well, that that's that that's that's good. I've seen that shirt, and I've come very close to buying it. What's that? I have a girlfriend in Canada. No, no. The I'm huge in Japan <laughs> because I literally am. I'm six three, and you know, I'm not exactly skinny. So yeah, I am big in Japan. There was a time when I had to record a video game, actually two video games. And I had to fly to Shanghai, and it was in the dead of winter, and I didn't have a winter coat. I did, like, a full big coat. I only had, like, a hoodie. So I go shopping, and uh, everyone was laughing, like, you too big. We don't have coat size for you. And like, oh, great, great. So after, you know, going to, like, a dozen different shops, finally found one that had, like, a trench coat that I was almost too big for me. So I got it. I kind of felt like Inspector Gadget in it, but uh, it worked. I thought you were going to say they had to wrap you in a horse blanket or something. <laughs> they might as well have. Speaking of bacon, this totally fucking random, but I, I feel compelled to share this with you. Um, one of my biggest regrets this past October was not being able to watch The Cyclops, um, 1957 epic film on par with, you know, Star Wars and all that shit. Um, but I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and even though we're into November, and traditionally I don't watch crappy B-movies in November, I did... Uh, Illicitly, I don't know if you can say illicitly for a movie that came out in '57, but uh, I uh, I obtained a copy of the Cyclops, and that's what I'm going to be doing as soon as this show wraps. Ooh, and then uh, you'll be posting a review on uh, your Killer Bees uh, site. I don't know. I I finished for October of this year. There's 93 reviews up, so that's enough to keep people busy, and you can click through and. Watch the movies for yourselves and see if you agree with my little micro reviews. And I did update the trivia, the fun facts, but I didn't update the main page that says I updated the fun facts. So you heard it here first, kids. New fun trivia on Killer Bees. All right. And what's that URL? EBERecords.com slash B. There you go. If you want to get at us, and you know you do, at BB Broadcast on Twitter, Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com or the big ball broadcast at gmail.com. Do we get any uh, feedback this week, Steve? You know, I meant to check like 15 different times and I just never got around to check. All right. And uh, I'm too lazy to check right now too. So let those emails stack up, continue to tell them. Uh, and, and one day we're just going to have an episode where we don't talk about the latest geeky news. We're just going to open up the inbox and read the shit you say. I've wanted to do that for quite some time, actually, honestly. So, yeah, we want to do an all-listener feedback show. So get typing, kids. You know, I listen to podcasts and stuff, and I almost never interact. I never email them and all that. Although, the one time I did, I became the voice of Smodco. <laughs> like, sending an email and 
got to do the the voice of uh you know sir dude and you know intro like it's time to babble the fuck on so i do all that but basically a lot of shows i listen to i just listen to when i'm on you know in the car or on a flight because i go to a lot of these conventions all over the place and i have a lot of time to kill once i'm you know trapped in either traffic or in the air so i'll listen to these things and i love them and i'm super dedicated to them i'm a huge fan but they wouldn't know because I've never actually written them and all that. And I know how hard it is to get out, get off your ass and, and write something to somebody. But um, if you like what you hear, and even if you hate what you hear, we want to hear the feedback regardless. Good, bad, indifferent. Uh, if you want us to talk about a subject or whatnot, at bbbroadcast, thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com or bigballbroadcast at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, eventually we will actually open up the, the letters and, and, and probably read them on the air, as it were. Absolutely. And you don't have to censor yourself. You can say fucking shit and damn and, you know, whatever else. Except the C word. I think the C word, even for me, that pushes it. I believe it was Harvard University that determined uh, that's the most profane word in the entire English language. Well, that makes sense. It is an ugly word. But so, <laughs> it is, And now, of course, they're going to send us all emails and that's all it's going to be. That's going to be the fucking the title and the, all the content. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I can see it now. <laughs> but uh, perhaps we could talk about what happened this week in, in the world of geek. If we have to. I'm just having fun making fun of people. <laughs> well, we can do that, too. And uh, we'll see if we can poke and prod and get a reaction out of people. Right? Usually it works. <laughs> yeah, we have plenty to talk about, so... Where's your, your bat signal pointing at? What direction is it pointing in? Well, my bat signal is actually pointing at um, this new Star Trek series uh, that got announced kind of out of nowhere. You thought Enterprise was going to be it, and you thought maybe the you know the J.J. Abrams movies and now Part 3, which has nothing to do with J.J. Abrams because he's busy doing Star Wars right now. Um, you thought maybe that's probably it. That's all we're going to see for, for Trekkers and Trekkies around the world. But nope, nope. They're coming back with a new show. You know, and that's the amazing part is this seemed like it came ridiculously from out of left field. There was no lead up, no leaks, no teases, no nothing. So uh, we still have a little while to wait, a little, little over a year. Uh, get this brand new Star Trek television series coming in January of 2017. Now, the premiere episode is going to be broadcast on CBS television network and the premiere episode with all the subsequent first run episodes will be available exclusively in the United States on CBS all access. Now what CBS all access is, is of course it's uh, every network's answer to Hulu and Netflix and, and whatever else is out there. So it's their little, uh, pay for on demand service. I'm, I'm assuming it has some, uh, live streaming capability as well. Uh, this, of course, is is uh, big to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And uh, unfortunately, that's all we know. And that's right from the official press release from CBS. That's all they're letting out right now. There's going to be a new show. And you get the broadcast details. Um, well, by the way, uh, it's $5.99 a month for uh, this CBS All Access, which I guess in comparison really isn't really too bad. It's kind of on par with everybody else. And it does have... Um, live streaming and uh, has local sports and news and all previous episodes of all the other Star Trek series. 
Yeah, it's interesting to, to, to see where it goes. You know, you had Enterprise as kind of a prequel to classic Trek and then, you know, the sequel series of Next Generation and, and all that. It's like, where could they go? And it's like, if they go with the cinematic universe, there's now that split timeline with the alternate universes that they explored in the first, Ab- you know, Abrams reboot. It's like, there's a lot of places they could go, but can you please everybody? Because everyone's got a, a, a series that they're near and, and dear to their hearts, you know? I kind of against my will was brought up having to watch the first gen star trek which i never really get into but i did kind of dig uh next generation i like patrick stewart and uh i like Riker and, and Worf and everybody i thought that was a pretty fun ensemble and uh i i love disney's gargoyles because they basically poached everybody from next generation and had him do voices in, in gargoyles the animated series so all the Gargoyles fans would probably poach me for uh, for saying that that was the reason I didn't watch Gargoyles because I was just like, wow, there's there's Jordy and there's Riker and like what? I loved Jonathan Frakes as Xenatos. I, I I loved that and uh and Data as Puck. That was wonderful. It's like, did someone in their in their department go? Let's just get every Star Trek Next Generation actor and give them voice work. It was funny because they got everybody except Patrick Stewart. And then Stewart has since gone on to have a very prolific uh, voice acting career. Most of the people that come from TV or film and they get a voice gig, you know, I, I've had a couple of them talk to me in like the break rooms of the recording studios going, man, this is a cush gig. I could get used to this. It's like, no, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> please don't take our jobs. No. I think depending on who it is, like Adam West, I, I think he has the, the best gig going on because I think of the time he's voicing characters who were written specifically for him. Oh, hey, I want to talk about something that seemed to catch the anime fans' eyes. Netflix aims to eventually produce anime. This is off of Anime News Network. Uh, The CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, stated that he is hopeful that Netflix will make a great anime show. That's uh, that's pretty interesting news. Now, of course, the fans are split. I was like, does this mean you're going to create original content in America that is anime influenced in visual style? And it's just going to be like a cheap knockoff and all that. But... That's not my first impression because both seasons of Knights of Sidonia was an anime series produced in Japan, and the only way you could watch them in America, North America, is Netflix. Uh, and they've uh, just debuted a new show that I I can be heard uh, uh, in doing very various bit parts in called The Seven Deadly Sins. And there's a, a new show called Glitter Force coming in December. So it seems like anime has has a new outlet besides Cartoon Network, and I think that's pretty exciting. I think we get so caught up with how we're going to pigeonhole and, and categorize everything. And we forget about the, the more important elements, you know, if it's done well, if it's visually appealing and it has a good story, I don't care what you call it. It should be successful on those merits. And what I always harken back to in that regard is uh, avatar and not the horrible James Cameron flick. I'm talking about the last airbender on Nickelodeon. And I, I haven't watched much Cora. And again, it's not because I don't want to, it seems like it's, it got ridiculous reviews during its entire run. Um, so I, and that is on the, the slate for some point. But you've heard a lot of controversy initially about, you know, oh, uh, that's a wannabe anime. Are they trying to play off anime? But at the end of the day, it didn't matter because it's, it's one of the most amazing animated series I've ever seen. Yeah, when you, when you get down to it, it's about story, right? I mean, you can have something that looks pretty... And at the end of the day, if, if it's not got a good story and good characters, then, you know, it's style over substance. And, you know, that's fine in some regards, but in overall, an all cohesive, comprehensive entertainment experience is visual 
It's uh, it's the written page coming to life uh, with a great story, a great screenplay, a great teleplay, and and, and whatnot. Um, we've seen partnerships happen uh, to help uh, anime series, you know, not only just come to different shores than Japan, but to even be completed in the first place. You know, you had, you know, the, the piracy and the torrent sites uh, basically kind of drowning several studios that had to close in Japan and some even in North America. And some continue to flourish like Funimation with Dragon Ball Z and plenty of studios and um, uh, distribution outlets like Crunchyroll uh, partnering with Japanese studios to get content out there. And it looks like Netflix is, is going to become a new avenue for that. And that's that's really, really cool, especially in the age of. Well, the typical anime fan always complaining that anime costs too much and I can't afford this and that. If you can afford Netflix, most people have Netflix at this point. I think it's safe to say that Netflix and Hulu, more people are cutting the cords with cable and just going with your basic, you know, eight, nine, ten dollar a month Netflix or maybe a ten dollar a month crunchy roll, maybe a ten dollar a month Funimation thing. If you, if you really want all your anime needs met, you know, you can have all this stuff on demand. It's cheaper than acquiring uh, a Blu-ray or DVD collection. And, you know, I haven't cut the cord just yet. I, I am not a Netflix subscriber. I know, <laughs> for shame. But um, the Funimation Network's on demand, so I can check out whatever it is Funimation's putting out there and rotating on a regular basis. It's it's getting out there. Again, you know, it's just... I, I, I've had the same issue with anime fans for well over a decade. A lot of them are just very hypocritical and... Um, oh, I understand, you know, you have to support it and blah, blah, blah. And they're the first fuckers to torrent it. So, um, yeah, but back to the Netflix thing. Sure. Whatever. With, with my attitude is it's like Kickstarter. If, if, uh, you're willing to throw money at it or into it and you have confidence in what you're doing, then hopefully I'm going to enjoy it. I'm really not going to, uh, try to be an armchair quarterback and, and talk about the merits of whether or not you should be doing it. The proof's going to be once you put it out there, and then I'll make my judgment on it. And, you know, we're either going to praise it or riff it on a future episode of the podcast. I've seen some people on Facebook kind of talk about um, that it's it's a negative thing, that if uh, it's exclusive to Netflix, then you're you're chopping out a good bit of your audience. But, I mean, how big of that audience are you really doing that? I mean, Daredevil is exclusive to Netflix, and, and it's getting ridiculous ratings and reviews and everything, so... You know, don't cry about anime. I'd cry about this multi-million dollar production that Disney's putting out there that's uh, exclusive to this online network. <laughs> and for anyone who wants to, they can access this stuff. If they really, really want to, they can say, okay, it may be Netflix or HBO exclusive, but not as long as I go to, you know, torrent.com and just type in the name of the show and then I'm watching this this bootleg version. You know, I think that's a, a beautiful time to segue into the, this ne- next bit here about how you, Kyle Amer, are directly responsible for YouTube's decision to go red. Oh, yeah, YouTube Red, the new um, premium subscription uh, program that um, lets you watch YouTube content ad-free. You know, I was kind of not surprised. <laughs> uh, one of YouTube's, well, should I say YouTube's biggest uh, celebrity came out in, in defense of Red and talked about why Red exists, and uh, this is from PewDiePie. And PewDiePie said Kyle Bear destroyed YouTube because he uses ad blocker. <laughs> basically, that's that's the whole gist of the argument. Um, when you use ad blocker, he says that YouTube uh, 
YouTubers lose about 40% of their ad income. And for smaller channels, that's absolutely devastating. And YouTube Red ex- exists largely as an effort to counter ad block. And using ad block doesn't mean you're clever and above the system. And uh, YouTube Red exists because ad block has actual consequences. So it's kind of what we've been hearing for years from the MPAA, talking about the consequences of how we're hurting Hollywood by pirating movies. But, you know, even I have to uh, take this a little bit seriously and say, yeah, you know, there are a lot of small-time content providers. And, you know, I can be a little abusive with YouTube. And let me explain what I mean. I'm going to be doing some uh, silk screening in the coming up uh, near future. And I'll talk about that as I get closer to that. But I didn't want to spend a lot of money on a high-end silk screen. So I was looking at some videos last night, how to put together your own uh, kind of professional quality silk screen. And this one channel I was watching, the, the guy kept saying, you know, if you can throw a donation my way or, or like and subscribe, because it does take time. And there is a lot of uh, effort in putting together these videos and editing them and trying to do them on a regular basis, taking a chunk out of your life. So, yeah, I think you'd want hopefully a certain degree of compensation no nobody the majority are getting rich from it pewdiepie you know took in seven mil last year and that's certainly respectable but um the smaller people they're, they're not making tons of money so to have their cut as small as it is reduced by 40 percent plus because people are blocking the ads i think that does kind of have some merit no it does i mean i first learned of it a couple uh, maybe a year or two ago the, the consequences of Adblock Plus, because let's face it, from a consumer standpoint, everyone hates ads. I'm sure even the content providers hate ads. You just want to watch even a 10 second, you know, oh, look at this cat doing some crazy flip thing. And then you're watching a 30 second ad for, you know, that you can't skip. I get it. They got to monetize, blah, 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 and all that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. If it's going to hurt their, their main source of income. Yeah, I totally respect that. You've seen this happen with mobile uh, apps, you know, uh, you want to get the ad free version of a photo app or a game or whatnot, you know, pay the 99 cents or the $2 or whatnot and unlock premium content, no ads, blah, 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 blah. It's, and it's worked, you know, for some people, some people are, are totally tolerant of the ads. They said, I don't want to, I don't want to buy an app. I, I just want to access it for free and I'll deal with, you know, the skipping thing. And, but, but sometimes the ad placements are so obnoxious that, you kind of are almost forced <laughs> to go ahead and just pay the 99 cents and just unlock it. Uh, and then there's the whole debacle with iOS where you have to pay a little more than 9.99. It's more like 12.99 a month, although there's a, a special workaround. I think if you sign up for YouTube Red on a desktop, you can then access it on your iPhone um, that way instead of signing up for YouTube Red through the app on iOS. Of course, you know, they're God knows how long that that uh, that workaround is going to actually work. Um, does YouTube Red sound like something you would do, or are you just going to tolerate the ads? You know, I, I feel like I sat on a cactus because I don't know honestly how much of a choice I have. My kids are fucking YouTube addicts. I don't know. I guess some of the stuff they watch is okay. Most of it's filth, but some of it they they watch and they they really dig it. And it's kind of hard for me to say you shouldn't dig it. It's, it's their thing. Um, and some of these are pretty big channels. Uh, my youngest loves um, Stampy Cat, who does daily uh, Minecraft videos, loves it. And he has millions of subscribers, so he's kind of up there in the category of PewDiePie. You know, I don't see why my entire family can't share one account. I don't know if that's legal or whatever, but 
that's something I'd have to do because doing the math at $9.99 a month, first of all, it's already more expensive than what we were talking about what CBS is doing. And secondly, it's $120 a year. I've been so spoiled for so long watching whatever I want on YouTube whenever I feel like it. And then it's like, shit, $120 a year for that same privilege? I don't know how I feel about it. There's so much content with Netflix and Hulu that you can get for much cheaper than a cable bill. But now that there's so much content providing on YouTube exclusively, then it's like, well, how much of your, your watching habits and a certain, and certainly a concern for families, you know, how much uh, content on YouTube is your kids watching? And if, if they're going to go by the wayside, then yeah, you're going to have to pony up, you know, $10 a month, 12, you know, 120 a, uh, a year or whatnot on top of your ludicrously high cable bill. I wonder if that would, uh, force your hand at, 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 at chopping cable. But then again, you're a big sports fan, so you, you don't want to miss out on your sports uh, broadcast unless that stuff streams for free somewhere. I don't know. Well, honestly, it's just the New England Patriots, and if you're not watching the Patriots play, you're a fucking loser. But anyways, um, what YouTube's touting, uh, there, there are three big things here with Red are, of course, as we mentioned numerous times, ad-free videos. Um, but the other two uh, features they're bringing are save offline. You can save songs and videos on your mobile device and watch them offline. And um, background play, where you can keep playing your videos while using other apps or while your screen is off. Again, I don't know if these other features are worth $9.99 a month, but I think uh, Google, who, who owns YouTube, is being very evil, and I, I think they got you by the sack. That drug pusher who who gave you that first fix for free and then you realize you liked it and you came back and like, Oh, well now it's going to be nine ninety nine a month. Yeah. I came close. I, I did give it some consideration because I'm so sick of, of, of putting up with the ads on there. And if you can get around that, that would be great. And I still don't have cable um, and haven't had for, for years. And I've always said, well, if we go 4k content for the 4k TV, I might consider it depending on the price. But for now, either having a Blu-ray DVD collection on demand with Hulu, Netflix, and then having digital versions through Vudu slash Ultraviolet and Amazon and all that stuff. You got plenty of ways to watch plenty of content. But yeah, you, you, they got you by the sack if you want the, the PewDiePie stuff and, and this, that, and the other. And if they become red exclusive, I wonder if those content producers don't get some sort of sweet financial incentive to go red. You know what I mean? It's like, do they stand to make a bigger cut? Do they get a bonus for, for becoming red exclusive? Well, what they're doing is actually a lot more backhanded than that. If you're somebody who YouTube wants to go red and you don't, they'll block your videos from U.S. viewers. Whoa. But, you know, I kind of get it because how long can you operate a network and uh, not make some money? You know, I mean, there's literally billions of videos on YouTube and there's hundreds of thousands being uploaded every minute um, with that infrastructure and, and the employment that you'd have to maintain for something like that. I kind of get it, especially knowing that you as a YouTube content provider are potentially losing up to 40 percent of your income because your demographic may have Adblock Plus. I'm so super curious, as I mentioned last show, about what's going to happen to channels like uh, Team uh, Four Star, who, again, have big uh, numbers when it comes to subscribers. But, you know, there's that very gray area when it comes to copyright. So can YouTube force them to go red and monetize something that's legally gray? Or are they, you know, 
not even considered for that, and they're missing out on that opportunity. That's true. Would they have to go on, on Ustream or, or anything, and then eventually everyone will probably come around with some sort of uh, premium subscription model. And then, and then everyone's just, you know, you, you got to give in. Unless you record your own content, learn how to convert video, and post it up on your own website. <laughs> Who wants to pay for that bandwidth? Mostly nobody. I don't mind. I have an unlimited business plan. Hit me up, kids. We'll make a deal. <laughs> Yay! You got a couple of Star Wars items. Disney supposedly retiring Slave Leia merchandise. I'm sure you've seen this flying around your social media feed. My feed has just been cluttered with this for a while. Um, the news originally broke from a Star Wars fan site who's kind of famous for uh, spoiling a lot of Star Wars saying that's making Star Wars. Um, love that site. And they reported that Disney issued an edict, essentially, that from this point forward, there was to be no merchandise whatsoever depicting Princess Leia in the metal bikini from Return of the Jedi. And a lot of people came out and said, well, you know, it's, it's speculation. Take it with a grain of salt. But then you had um, uh, Marvel comic artist J. Scott Campbell take to Twitter, and he said... Daisy, Daisy Ridley won't have to fight against anything. Disney is already well on its way to wiping out the, quote, slave outfit from any future products, period. You will not, all capitals, not see uh, any future merchandise featuring the slave, out, slave outfit ever again. Trust me. And he says he's heard it from two sources, and they can't even draw Leia in any sexual poses at Marvel, let alone in that outfit. And they also said they had a 3D statue killed at a major manufacturer because there will no longer be any more slave Leia merchandise. I mean, is it is it really that much of a shock that, you know, when the House of Mouse is, is running Lucasville now, that they're going to put their their foot down about something? I mean, yeah, they're going to have this, this great amount of creative freedom so that we're going to, you know, potentially have great new Star Wars stories. The stuff that could border on sexual exploitation angle and all that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I see where they're coming from, especially if they want Princess Leia to be considered a Disney princess. But, you know, we're in the day and age of the Internet. If you want fan art, you can commission any artist to draw anything naked, screwing in bikinis or whatnot. It doesn't really matter if the merch exists or not. Someone can do that. Someone can craft their own little toys and action figures and sell it on Etsy before they get shut down. Who knows? It just goes to show you that, honestly, we just can't win because... When Avengers came out and everybody was crying that there wasn't any Black Widow merchandise and then the Marvel continued that was a long time where you still, to this day, don't see any female characters in the films being uh, featured predominantly. It's like, oh, boo-hoo. Uh, they're not letting girls grow up with role models. And then you have, you know, mostly naked Leia that uh, certainly got me through my childhood in Star Wars, like many others before me with the Farrah Fawcett poster. But anyways, it is a sexual representation, so... If, if you're going to complain about them discontinuing that type of merchandise or having Leia drawn seductively, you're kind of part of the problem in, in Disney and Marvel's eyes anyway. Yeah, I'm looking at our uh, chat room, which we usually stream on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. And uh, I'm reading, let's see here, Hero 004 says the Marvel Star Wars comic kicks ass. I don't need sexy Leia poses for that. And, you know, that raises a good point that, you know, do you absolutely need someone in a bikini to tell a good story? Is it going to stop them from going in mass to these big conventions and having their pictures taken? Or have uh, cosplayers, not just fan art, 
but cosplayers doing a, a, a slave Daisy Ridley character or a slave whatever, slave Kylo Ren. <laughs> you know, you could have anything, any mix matchup, mashup, of you know, possible things you would never pair together uh, are going to be on the on the cosplay circuit. I want a slave Cantum Phasma. Careful what you wish for, man. Rule thirty four. Um, you know, it's just on the internet you can't win. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Damned if you try to stand up for strong uh, female characters. Damned if you try to support, uh, you know, naked 20-year-old coked-up Carrie Fisher. Um, I think Carrie Fisher was probably like, what the fuck, you know? I'm never going to look that good again, so keep putting that stuff out. <laughs> Who likes documentaries? A lot of people. Uh, that's a great way to kill time. That's another reason to get Netflix, Steve. The, the kick-ass list of documentaries on everything that you would never think of that there was a documentary for. But Star Wars, of course, has a documentary. Not that it's on Netflix, necessarily, unless you're going to read that it is on Netflix, Steve. But we'll find out. There's a documentary on Star Wars actors whose faces you basically never saw because they were dressed up as robots, droids, alien creatures, and whatnot. That sounds like a fascinating idea. Absolutely. And I love documentaries uh, of many different types. Um, but, you know, again, there's many actors who wore masks in the Star Wars universe, and uh, some featured in this documentary are some of the big names. You know, Greedo, Boba Fett, Darth Vader. There's a bunch of others. You have your, your random Brit that was cast as a stormtrooper. Um, there's a trailer that's up on Vimeo, and I dug the fuck out of the trailer, honestly, uh, to hear David Prowse talking about what it was like playing Vader behind the mask, and um, Jeremy Bullock who uh, portrayed uh, Boba Fett at a convention um, kind of getting teased by by a fan. Like, you know, are you really nothing special? You're just some guy that wore a bucket on his head. So you kind of get the, the whole mix. You kind of get some of the uh, the, the um, more fanciful tales and you get some, some of the more gritty down to earth. You're not a recognizable actor type stories. So it's very, very interesting. Uh, it's called Elstree 1976. And El- Elstree was um, the studio that they filmed that in England, uh, A New Hope. And that's kind of the big news about uh, The Force Awakens, that they actually shot some stuff at Elstree. So check that out, Elstree 1976. Um, and that's actually the name of their website as well, Elstree1976.com. And I think it, it is really fascinating. And I can't wait for this full doc to drop. Good deal on that. Yeah, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. I, I wish I had more hours in the day to, to watch some of these documentaries. My fiance showed me one about Betty Page and, uh, you know, pinup queen from the 40s. And really interesting. It's like narrated by her, some uh, old interview uh, audio done in her last year. She was, she was very, very old, but recounting her history and showing all the photo shoots and everything. Fascinating stuff. So, yeah, you could find a documentary on everything, not just like, oh, I want to watch this because this is about video games and I'm into video games. You could find stuff about the most inane, trivial side stuff, and you're just captivated for, you know, an hour and a half or two hours. Of course, there's a bunch of shit on there, too. There's some some real gems in the documentary uh, genre. I can't recommend them enough. Three available for free on YouTube on Ed Wood Jr., all an hour and a half plus. You got Vampira and, and uh, Kelton the Cop and some really really great stuff yeah i can't help it kyle i know we're past october but i'm still waxing nostalgic while we're on the uh disney star wars stuff uh disney also owns muppets just in case you guys didn't know uh they've got uh two movies under their new regime belt and of course the new uh kind of reality show muppets tv show currently on abc but uh 
This is an interesting tagline when you told me about it there, Steve. Muppets are already being rebooted? Yeah, apparently, you know, the the new show on ABC isn't going well. And uh, this website I'm reading from, I'll, I'll spare them uh, the, the hate mail, but they downright call it terrible. Um, their showrunner is gone. And uh, a lot of other people have been clearing house from the show. And according to Deadline, the show's probably going to take a hiatus after its 10th episode and will return later with a six-episode retool. So that's one of the quickest uh, television reboots to a big franchise that I've heard of, at least in recent history. That's pretty wild. And I think, you know, I think they are reading social media posts, people giving their feedback and having that feedback available instantly as opposed to the old days with Arbitron TV ratings and diaries that the ratings would be calculated based on people filling out diaries on their viewing habits and whatnot. This is a really interesting sort of uh, time. And yeah, think about the expense of having to not, not, not retooling a show, period. And especially something involving something creative like Muppets and all that. How expensive that is to, to sit there and, and fix something. Having to take months off the, uh, the hiatus and, and the, the, the scheduling and, and all that. But I mean, your parent company is in control of that. So it's not that they're necessarily losing money. I mean, they're going to ultimately make it back because audience, the Muppets have a, a big fan base. But I mean, I haven't even seen the, the, the new Muppet reality show that they were doing. I know it has a lot of humor that's very, very adult and, and you know, double meaning this, that and the other. And, you know, depending on your, your point of view, that's either like crossing the line for what the Muppets should be or or. Or maybe it's, you know, it's like, hey, I, li- I love South Park, but Muppets doesn't need to be that. Yeah, Muppets shouldn't be Deadpool, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it is interesting. It's interesting that a big network with a big property um, would, A, listen to fans' concerns, and B, um, I guess kind of go out of the way to please, because you don't want to damage that property. You want to continue to really bank from that, so... It'll be interesting to see what'll come from it. If they fuck this up a second time, then they just need to get out for a while. I mean, they can get a second life out of it. I imagine it would be a very, very different story if they didn't own the Muppets and they just merely uh, had them as a platform on that network. And, you know, just like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if they're, if they're you know, ratings plunder, they're still going to make Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, because it's Marvel and Disney owns Marvel and Disney owns ABC. So it's like they have a chance to, to kind of recoup and all that. It's not, it's not like Firefly on Fox and all that, where Fox just yanks and pulls the plug. They have a different level of investment in, in everything now. It's kind of their whole overall philosophy, and it's really no different than the theme parks. When a ride is kind of becoming passe, they'll go in, they'll renovate that section of the park, they'll, they'll rejuvenate the ride, or put in an entirely new attraction. So I think it's a little different when you see it happen on TV. Generally, when a show bombs like this that's it they, they tank it and you don't hear about it anymore it's kind of interesting to take a break and try to bring it back uh, in a little bit more of an appealing fashion on this whole reboot thing because everyone's very obsessed with reboots things that you probably have not thought of for decades because it's really old and they want to tap into that nostalgic thing greatest american hero everyone remember that abc show from uh, late 70s, early 80s, William Cat there. And I think the most notable thing is the catchy theme song. <laughs> it's just kind of a silly show, but it still has a cult following. And apparently um, some people with money want to bring it back. It's pretty crazy. Uh, this is being picked up by Fox. And uh, 
they have the director from Dope and Talk to Me, along with um, the directing duo of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who, of course, were involved with 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie. And uh, what's really interesting is that rounding out the team is actually uh, Stephen Cannell's daughter. Um, and Stephen Cannell was the creator of both Greatest American Hero and the original 21 Jump Street. So his daughter is going to be directly involved with the process. Um, not that lineage has always worked out well in the past. Um, but it is weird. This is a show that ran from 81 to 83 on ABC. And it was really campy and everything to begin with. It certainly wasn't anything in a serious vein. So having said that, I hope it's not like a dark and gritty uh, down-to-earth reboot. I hope it's kind of lighthearted the way the original was. But really, this was like the last thing I expected to ever come back. I'm not going to say that they're going to go the dark way, but then again, we do live in a world where Warner Brothers thought it was a good idea to make a dark and gritty superhero uh, uh, team out of the Looney Tunes, Lunatics Unleashed which you could watch, I think, on Netflix and all that, just from the train wreck aspect of it all. My God. And that's what I was talking about earlier. That's a show that was just fucking horrible, and then it just disappeared. That was it, the end. No no attempt to reboot that. Oh, so if you wanted your chance to get a uh, Pepsi Perfect bottle uh, to celebrate the anniversary of Back to the Future 2, a second batch was created and, of course, instantly sold out. So you're all fucked if you want to do that. Unless you want to go to eBay... And, uh, you know, pay way too much for Pepsi that tastes exactly the same as any other Pepsi you can get, minus the cool bottle. But, um, wow, yeah, servers crashed again, just like they did with the Force Awakens ticket sales. I think this one was faster. They sold out um, their entire stock of 6,500 bottles in 11 minutes. Man, I thought it was going to be like two But I guess, you know, if you're sitting there hitting refresh and then the servers kicking you every which way and all that and you finally get through it and then, yeah, of course, it's sold out. 6,500, that's nothing. That's such a small number. So now there's, you know, 13,000 bottles of this shit out in the world and the fans are probably still pissed off. It's like, just make, you know, millions. (laughs) Just fucking do it. Put it out. When I heard they were doing it again, I kind of felt bad for the eBayers. I'm like, shit, they're they're liquidating the stock. So, you know, people aren't going to be paying these ridiculous prices. And then, boom, fucking fiasco sells out immediately. And you get bottles asking for prices on eBay right now, ranging the whole gamut from $55 to $995. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it did get Pepsi Perfect trending on on, uh, Twitter again. Unfortunately, most of the comments were epic fail and the absolute worst. Totally negative publicity, but it's publicity in the end. Obviously, they haven't gone wrong yet, right? They've sold out in minutes both batches. They're laughing all the way to the fucking bank. But only so far because, you know, yeah, they sold them for 20 bucks a bottle. So times 6,500 times another 6,500. Yeah. I mean, they got talked about in social media. Here we are talking about it on a podcast. So good for them. But does this really impact their multi-billion dollar soda industry, which, you know, continues to thrive no the negative tweets certainly don't if anything it just it's keeping people talking about it so when they're ready to do their third launch because apparently you know why the fuck stop now if they made it readily available and i were to walk into my local grocery store i probably would get it i think it's cool it's got a cool shape and everything i'm certainly not going to go to ebay and pay those prices it reminds me of the, the whole twinkie debacle when twinkies uh 
were ceased to be manufactured and boxes were literally going for five hundred dollars. You know, that wasn't asking for. That's what people were finally paying. And then less than a month later, they brought them back. So how does that feel getting that jammed up your ass sideways? <laughs> yeah, it feels like a, a rusty chainsaw and no lube or a reach around, eh? Hey, speaking of weird things, I'll throw this out real quick. We know in Harry Potter, in the Harry Potter universe, um, in England anyway, they call non-magic users uh, muggles. Um, do you know what they call them in the U.S.? No, I do not. This is a true story. Uh, th- you have this new movie coming out by J.K. Rawlings in the Harry Potter universe called uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, set in 1924, New York. And uh, she's been kind of taking to social media and throwing out some random shit. And uh, in America, they call them Nomadge which is an abbreviation for no magic. So I'm going to throw it out there for the Potter fans. I know, Kyle, you really don't give a shit, and frankly, neither do I, but somebody listening might care, so now you know something that a lot of people don't know yet. Another thing that uh, chances are Steve and I really don't give a shit about, but someone out there does, is Warcraft. They're making a movie. It's coming, and there's a teaser out there, probably a trailer by the time you, you guys hear this episode, but also a poster, too. And the vibe I'm getting from social media is people are really chomping at the bit to see this. Hey, you know, I'm a Warcraft fan. Um, it, it looks like a big epic film, kind of like a Lord of the Rings type thing. Um, but if this is going to be the first good video game movie, then I think we've waited long enough for one. I know. I am always hopeful that they will make a really, really good video game tie-in movie. I am hopeful for that. Yeah, what I saw from the teaser is that, yeah, it does look like it's straight out of Lord of the Rings, but, um, you know, I I had no interest in seeing The Hobbit. Most of the people's consensus was The Hobbit was just really overwrought and, and boring as sin, and... I know, Steve, you felt that way about the original trilogy. You had zero interest in even the original Lord of the Rings. Um, But if you have something a little more faster paced, and and certainly with uh, the modern gamer in mind, um, the chances are, you know, you got a 50-50 shot of either, you know, making something that the fans will be happy with or something that'll just become the next, you know, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, horrible adaptation. I mean, I guess it looks pretty. And again, I, I hope for the best. There have been some uh, set picks being leaked for Assassin's Creed. I don't know if you've seen any of those, Kyle, but that's the big uh, holdout hopeful that, you know, maybe if Warcraft doesn't do it, maybe Assassin's Creed could be the first good, you know, video game movie. Yeah, any sort of historical fiction tied thing has my fiance's appetite totally wetted. Uh, she's like, oh, Assassin's Creed, that's cool. She played a little bit of her son's uh, copy once, and it's like, I want to see that movie. It's like, yeah, okay, all right. It's not directly tied in. It's not the characters from the game, but it is that universe. And uh, So, yeah, Michael Fassbender tied into this thing, which, you know, he's got a lot of gravitas to him, and the people, the reviewers, and the fans love him. So maybe having a name like that attached, as well as a huge install base of fans from the game series, will get people to at least go check it out. I haven't played any of the Assassin's Creed. And again, you know, it's not because I don't want to. I've heard that the uh, the one before this last one, the, the Colonial America one, uh, has some Masonic shit in it. So that, that was enough to kind of, ooh, okay, maybe I should check this out. In the gaming world, though, you know, Arkham Knight, great console experience. Not so good on the PC side of it, though. But um, if you were one of those um, unfortunate victims <laughs> who, who caught a really crappy Batman game for your PC... Um, you can get your money back. Yeah, I guess uh, through the end of this year, through 2015, um, if you plunk down some money on the still broken uh, PC version of Batman 
Arkham Knight, you can get your money back. Uh, I guess they're also refunding money if you uh, bought any additional add-on content as well. Um, they have suspended the sales of the PC version, so you, you can't even buy it if you wanted to. I wonder if that makes it collectible at this point. Does it become the next E.T., the extraterrestrial? Nowadays, I, I don't think people want to hold on to this a really broken game. Um, on Steam, they did issue an apology. They said that they're very sorry that many other customers continue to be unhappy with the PC version of Batman Arkham Knight and that they've worked hard to live up to the standards that they deserve, but they understand that you may still be frustrated with the experiences that you're still facing. Um, more ominously, they say, for those of you that hold on to the game, we are going to continue to address the issues that we can fix and talk to you about the issues we cannot fix. And it's that last part that should be the red flag of why you should get your money back now, because they're admitting up front that there are issues with the PC version that they simply just cannot fix. So sorry, kids, you own a broken game and it act pretty quick and get your money back before the offer expires. I say they take all of these games that they're getting refunds for and go bury them in a Mexican desert or something. That's probably what's going to happen. This will become the new urban legend for my kids. And then they'll make a documentary about it in 50 years. I mean, oh my God, look, it's the Batman game that totally failed. It was great on consoles, but it was totally buggy on PC. And then they'll sell them on eBay for three, dollars $400 a piece and people will buy them. As people drink their Pepsi Perfect, which is now readily available. Hey, I want to throw this at you real quick because you, you're an audiophile. You come from a background in radio. Um, you like vinyl. How do you feel about um, a $55,000 pair of headphones? That's uh, excessive. You thought Beats cost too much. It's this company I can never pronounce. Is Sen- Sennheiser. Oh, Sennheiser. Sennheiser. There you go. Yeah, they make mics and headphones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, you know, uh, not too long ago, they released their $16,000 Orpheus uh, system that people kind of dug. Uh, this one here is just fucking ridiculous. Um, here's some crazy stat stuff for you. The amp is shielded in Italian marble. The tubes are protected by bespoke quartz bulbs, and the headphones deliver sound via diaphragms crafted crafted from vaporized titanium. Um, you can get frequencies all the way down to eight hertz, so you can literally feel the bones in your skull rattling. Um, my question is, who needs these? Is this just something luxurious? Uh, well-to-do and you don't know what to do with your money type people buy or other people that are really that fucking serious about sound where they have to plunk down a good down payment on a Porsche to have some decent audio. Well, yeah, I'm thinking this is speaking straight to anyone with a Tesla and a $17,000 gold Apple watch uh, to just buy it because they can. <laughs> We're laughing in the chat. Jess Oldfield says, depending on the band, you could probably get them to play in front of you for that kind of money. 55 grand. Yeah, I know. How about you, Steve? Uh, get your, your, your old bandmates together for 55 grand? I'd walk there for 55 grand. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even need, you'd walk there in the snow barefoot with your instruments on your back. Absolutely. That's a, that's a decent scratch right there. But I'm thinking you could probably get like some decent acts. You wouldn't get Metallica or anybody of that ilk for that kind of money, but you could probably get some pretty decent artists for fifty-five grand. Fifty-five grand, yeah. I'm thinking maybe a good cover band. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, hard up, out of work musicians too. <laughs> I bet <laughs> you can get Brett, Brett Michaels for fifty-five grand. He might show up for an hour or two. You can get Corey Feldman. <laughs> Neil Gaiman's getting his own television series. 
whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote my favorite comic series of all time, Sandman. Again, we really don't know too, too much about this. It's going to be called Neil Gaiman's Likely Stories. It's going to begin uh, at the end of this month, actually. And The Guardian says that it's reported that the series will adapt four of Gaiman's short stories, but there's no word exactly on which stories are going to be adapted or who's been cast in the show. So I guess we're going to know pretty soon <laughs> whether or not this is pretty good or not. Would it be for BBC? It's, it says that the independent film company is based out of London, and the episodes are going to be directed by these people, but it doesn't say where it's going to be on. It'll be on YouTube, and you can pay the red prices to watch it. There you go. Just sign up for YouTube, Brad. You get your nail game and uh, TV show exclusively. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking BBC is probably where it'll show up first, but, you know, that's my opinion. So I heard... Uh, Tonight, as we're recording this, uh, Constantine's Return to TV. Yeah, Constantine is on Arrow. That episode that uh, we had talked about uh, on this show before is, is actually airing tonight as we record this episode. Uh, it leaked online a few days early, as a matter of fact. Um, I haven't seen it, but uh, I do want to watch it just because. And I'm behind on Arrow, so I'm going to be totally lost in terms of Arrow plots unless it's... Uh, uh, just a, a, a one-shot sort of deal. I know the episode's called Haunted or The Haunting, something similar to that. Uh, Matt Ryan reprising his role as John Constantine. Um, I really, really have my fingers crossed that uh, the ratings on this episode and the fan feedback is through the roof so that that show gets a second life somewhere, even if it is on CW. Because, you know, if they greenlit the Legends of Tomorrow series based on, you know, some, some lesser heroes showing up on Arrow... And all that. I mean, come on, Constantine. Even David Goyer, who who did the adaptation for a lot of the Dark Knight stuff, and now the the new Batman v Superman and and everything, he hasn't always hit home runs with his adaptations. Uh, but you know, even he admits that NBC wasn't the best fit for Constantine. Uh, but you know, hey, if you got them throwing money at you, going, hey, we want your show, of course you're going to say yes, please take it, and then they pull the plug on it, which fucking sucks because that's a brilliant show and it deserves life so i'm really really glad that uh the power of the fans were able to make you know save constantine something um enough to get something like this to happen to have a crossover into the arrow universe the whole dc tv universe which constantine is dc and it is tv so even though his show got yanked no reason for him to, to, to not show up as a guest on that or even flash for that matter you had a lot to say about that. I do, damn it. I love Constantine. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just nodding my head saying, I don't know what he's talking about. I know. Just smile and nod. I know. You're just missing out on a really, really cool character and all that. Uh, Hero004 agrees with me. He says, Constantine was such a great show and had so much potential. So glad CW made this the move. Uh, Matt Ryan was cast perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah, there we go. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be interested to find out the feedback and, of course, watch the episode. Uh and see what they did with the old boy. All right. Now I think we're fresh out of content. Freshly squeezed. Nothing left but pulp. Shaken, not stirred, but freshly squeezed. There's all sorts of, ooh, gross sort of things we're discussing here. Um, but hey, uh, Steve, thank you for digging up these lovely, juicy tidbits of geeky news. Uh, thanks to Alan S., Hero004, Jez Oldfield, and all of our chat regulars who join us on Wednesday evenings at 9 Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. 
uh, for our live audio stream and chat room so they can get involved and listen in as we record our new episodes weekly here on the Big Ball Broadcast on Smodco, Smodco Internet Radio, Smodcast.com. Until next week, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. Hey.